Verbally Effective with Ina Esco is an interview-style podcast that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis focus. With producer Sanaa Marie, each week I'm joined by a featured guest with roots in Memphis. Verbally Effective delves into each guest's personal journey to uncover the incredible stories fueling their purpose the highs and lows of their pursuits, and how through their passion, they are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com. Hey, it's Pat Newman, owner of R.P. Newman Realty, Saver Memphis, and the head baseball coach of the Lamorne Owen College Magicians. And I'm hanging with Ina Esco on the Verbally Effective Podcast. Hi, this is Bobby Aufjay, program director and morning personality for WDIA, hanging out with Ina Esco on the Verbally Effective Podcast. Dr. Stacy L. Spencer is the senior pastor of New Direction Christian Church in Memphis, Tennessee, a multi-site congregation with church plants in Collierville, Tennessee, and Idutwa, South Africa. The Olmstead, Kentucky native is a dynamic speaker, visionary, and author. His energetic and culturally relevant messages address the spiritual growth of the individual and issues in society. He has a passion to teach kingdom living, to equip people with biblical guidelines and practical resources that can transform their lives and the world. Dr. Spencer's kingdom mindset led to the development of Eden Square Town Center, a multi-million dollar community model intended to reinvigorate an area of Memphis that is considered a food desert. The mixed-use development project includes a middle school, performing arts center, wellness center, retail spaces, and housing. In 2018, Dr. Spencer released 3D Relationships, Three Relationship Dimensions to Lead You into Your Purpose. Dr. Spencer also wrote U-Turn, a 12-step guide to spiritual transformation to help people experience a deeper and more fulfilling relationship with Jesus. Dr. Spencer is a chairman of the board of directors for Power Center Community Development Corporation. The independent nonprofit launched Power Center Academy, a charter school that celebrated the May 2015 high school graduation of its inaugural class of sixth graders. He earned a Doctor of Divinity from Drew University, a Master of Divinity from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and a Bachelor's in Broadcast Communication from Western Kentucky University. He and Rhonda Spencer are the proud parents of four sons, Calvin, Omari, Jordan, and Jaden. Verbally effective, your double E, Ina Esco. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Verbally Effective Podcast. You guys know that we are in some uncertain times right now. And I have someone to uplift our spirits today. I have with me the senior pastor at New Direction Christian Church. He's a visionary. He's an author. I have with me Dr. Stacy L. Spencer. How are you, Dr. Spencer? Good, Anna. How are you doing this morning? 
I am doing great. Uh, I'm so excited that you are with me today. I know you're going to give us some good vibes and some good energy today. Yes, ma'am. We came to bring the sunshine. We need some sunshine right about now, don't we? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. I totally agree. Thank you for joining the Verbally Effective Podcast. And like I do with all of my guests, we're going to start at the beginning of your journey. Now, you know, this podcast has a Memphis focus, and you are now deeply rooted in Memphis, but I know you are not from Memphis. So tell all the listeners exactly where you're from. I am from Route 1, Olmstead, Kentucky. You know what that is? I do not know where Route 1 is. <laughs> where is that? Tell me where that is. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me tell you where I'm from. So I'm from a little rural uh, Kentucky town, the western part of Kentucky. It's actually 30 minutes from Clarksville, Tennessee, where Austin P. State University is. Okay. And so it's 30 minutes the other way is Bowling Green, Kentucky, where I went to college at West Kentucky University. I was raised at Route 1 off of Kentucky uh, in the backyard of my grandmama's house in a little single-wide trailer by a single mother uh, who divorced my dad at age 7, uh, out of 7, and uh, he was a Vietnam vet, and it, it really kind of messed messed him up emotionally and she mm. wasn't able to handle it so mama raised us by herself uh, in that little rural town and we had a population at one point around 3,000 people in Russellville, Kentucky uh, and that was probably, at one point I had more members at my church than I did in my hometown um, that I grew up in so it was a humble beginning um, being raised in rural Kentucky, I, I won't trade anything from my journey. I was just talking to my older brother last night about how we worked in tobacco fields to raise, uh, to, to earn money for school clothes. Mm. Um, I talked about that work ethic and my uncle teaching us how to hunt, how to fish, how to survive, how to be men. And I wouldn't trade anything for those humble beginnings and growing up hungry. Um, and learning to have empathy for those who grow up poor and to know what that feels like to go to sleep and hear your mama crying because she can't pay bills and uh, to have to eat tomato sandwiches and get government cheese and peanut butter in a can and sleep mm. poor to bed in the wintertime because you can't pay the heating bill. Uh, so it gave me a very humble beginning, and I wouldn't trade anything for it. Wow. Now, it sounds like from what you just said that you are totally prepared. You have some, you know, some real deal survival skills from growing up out there in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I know. I know what it means to eat fried bologna sandwiches with burnt edges. And I know what it means to eat a steak in a nice steakhouse. I've, I've been from uh, from the bottom to the top. And uh, it, it helped me to be sensitive and to, in terms of the people I minister to, uh, to have compassion and empathy. Uh, so I wouldn't uh, trade anything for how God has shaped me. You know, God never wastes any pain or experience that we go through in life. It shapes us into who he wants us to be and how he wants to use it. Definitely, definitely. Now, let me tell me this about growing up in Kentucky. Now, when you were in school, let's, let's get to high school. What type of, you know, extracurricular activities were you involved in at that point in your life? Wow, you're taking me back. In <laughs> high school, in the 80s, 
uh, I was, here's an interesting thing. I was four feet tall and 11 inches all the way through high school. Mm. And I weighed 90 pounds. I weighed what? 90 pounds. What? And so I had, a, I had a little man syndrome. I mean, I wanted to show everybody I was big enough and bad enough to do anything they could do. They would call me Speed Racer, Mighty Mouse. They had all kinds of little names for me. But I wanted to prove to everybody that I belonged just like they did. So I played football. Matter of fact, they changed my weight on the roster. <laughs> uh, they put me, they gave me 10 more pounds. They lied, gave me 10 more pounds. 10 more pounds, I was 100 pounds. And they made me five feet tall on uh. the roster just so I would look good on the roster. Wow. Uh, as I played football, ran track. I was in the band. Mm. I was in DECA. I was in the beta clubs. Uh, I was in speech. Uh, I was a Yale leader. Mm. Um, I did a lot of stuff and somehow maintained uh, A's and B's, uh, a great enough grade point average to give me a partial scholarship to go to Western Kentucky University. Wow, that's amazing. You were very busy back then and still to this day. (laughs) Wow. So when you went to college, what was your major and how was your college experience? My major was broadcast communication with a minor in speech. And college was one of the most grounding experiences, eye-opening experiences for a young sheltered country boy. It really opened up my eyes. I have relationships I formulated in college that still exist to this day. Mm-hmm. It was predominantly white uh, institution, but the, the black uh, culture, the black family experience on campus was so rich because we were all we had. It was a minority of us, but we, we looked out to each other. We fed each other. The whole pledging experience before hazing went bad was amazing. It was like, it was like Spike Lee school days, right? <laughs> uh, right. We, we had that whole uh, rich African-American experience on a predominantly white campus. And I thought that I would be one day uh, doing the news on mm. TV. Um, but toward my junior year of my college, I accepted my call to ministry. Uh, right around the time I was president of my fraternity, I played Kappa Alpha Psi. Uh, I played Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity. And I became hallmark of that uh, organization. I was uh, a national officer in that organization, junior vice hallmark. But then all of that came to not a halt, but an interruption when God called me to preach. Mm. Uh, I was in a, in a gospel choir on campus called the Amazing Tones of Joy. I was the chaplain. And I kept feeling this need to do more for God. I didn't know where it was. And it was not until 1988, 1989, January, New Year's Eve night, that I went to a, a church service with my mom while I was home. And the Lord just gave me this overwhelming sense that I needed to do more for him. And that next Sunday morning, my pastor preached a sermon called Untie Yourself so the Lord can use you, talking about the coat that had never been written before. And that day I walked in front of the church. I said, God has called me to preach. It was one of the most surreal moments. I felt like Spike Lee's movie when Malcolm X is walking down the sidewalk and he's gliding, he's not moving. Mm-hmm. And uh, the older lady stops him and she says, God bless you, son. And it's, it's right before Malcolm is about to die. And I felt like I was dying because 
really, part of me was dying. He was this popular capper, this guy that went on road trips, stepmaster, uh, and pretty boy. All of a sudden, God says, I need you. Mm. And uh, all of that stopped. I literally stopped partying, stopped drinking, stopped doing everything, and began my trek towards seminary. So after I would complete uh, my college experience, I would go to Louisville, Kentucky to work on my Master of Divinity at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Wow. That is amazing. God will surely use you, huh? Just, you know, change your life in an instant. Yes, he will. God, there's a statement that says, men make, men make plans and God laughs. Yes, yes, yes. Now, when you you know, had this calling from the Lord and, you know, you the popular new phone campus, you know, doing your thing. How did your frat brothers respond when you, you know, got that calling? They were shocked. My, my natural biological brothers were shocked. They were like, are you sure, bro? <laughs> and I'm I know. like, yeah, I'm sure. You know, and at first it was kind of awkward tenuous when I would come around, they'd hide their drinks behind their back and they say, Here comes here comes Rev, you know. And but then they grew to respect me and, and those same brothers today, if they're having marriage problems, if they're stuck, they will pick up the phone and call me for counseling and wisdom and it gradually morphed into that. Mm. Um, but at first it was a shock to everybody, including myself. But as I began to learn how to balance being a man and being God's man uh, it became easier, but it was awkward at first. Wow, I can imagine. And you got that calling early in life because I, I, I heard you say your junior year in college. That's that's early. Mm -hmm. <laughs> early. Early. <laughs> wow. Okay, so you went to seminary school. What does seminary school look like? Is it like, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, n not like, you know, you're totally cut off from everything else, but I, I know it has a lot of discipline. How was your experience in seminary school? So seminary is not a monastery, so it's not monks walking around with the head <laughs> and, and making chastity vows. I, on my hallway, I had one guy who was an atheist who wanted to teach. He wanted to be a professor in church history. Uh, you have anything from counselors, people want to do pastoral counseling, Teach, they want to teach theology. Then you have people like me who want to be pastor counselors who know they're going to be working in a local church. So we have to take Hebrew, Greek, um, theology, uh, systematic theology, uh, history, preaching, uh, pastoral counseling. And so for three years, I attended that uh, seminary and um, got my tools that I would use for the rest of my life, the research tools that would be necessary to be a good pastor, the, the competency it needs, that you need to be a counselor. But one of the things that we always say in the black preacher circle, if you don't know how to preach before you go to seminary, you won't know how to preach after you get out. Mm. Uh, there, there is a sense of calling that one must have in order to be effective as a pastor and a preacher. And seminary can give you tools, but you got to have that it, that calling, that anointing uh, in order to be effective. Definitely, definitely. I, I uh, attended Lemoyne on College. I graduated in 2001. But while I was a student there, 
So we talking about 1997 through 01. I used to attend Mississippi Boulevard Church, and that was my introduction to you, Dr. Spencer, because at that time you were the youth pastor. And I remember uh, back then, you know, you were so engaging and you know, you talked about the it factor. You definitely have that it factor. <laughs> you definitely have it. Now, from Kentucky to Tennessee, how did you transition? So from Kentucky to Tennessee, um, I got a call. I was a youth pastor at St. Stephen Baptist Church. It's a mega church in, in Louisville, Kentucky. Dr. Kevin Cosby was a pastor. I was his youth pastor. And I had been there probably about six years, uh, and towards graduation, I'd gotten married in 1993, uh, and my wife was pregnant with our first child, and I got a call from Dr. Alvin O'Neill Jackson from Mississippi Boulevard in Memphis, and so he was looking for a youth pastor, and some friends, mutual friends gave him my name and number, but I was looking to pastor because I thought the natural trajectory for a seminary graduate was to go get their own church. So when he called me, he said, hello, Brother State, this is Dr. Ivan O'Neill Jackson. I got your name that you might be interested in being you pastor. I said, no, sir. Uh, I'm actually looking to pastor a church. And he said, oh, okay. <laughs> well, uh, well, if you know anybody, you know, let me know. And I said, yes, sir, I appreciate it. And I hung up the phone. And I walked out of the church that day and I saw a frat brother from Memphis named Dr. Jimmy Cowan, who is a pediatrician here in Memphis, and uh, he was he was, he was was practicing there in Louisville at the time, and his, his family, his children were in my youth ministry. And I, he said, hey, man, how's it going? I said, I'm going, it's going good, bro. He said, I said, I just talked to somebody from Memphis, man. He said, he said who? He, I said, Dr. Alvin O'Neill Jackson. He said, Dr. Alvin O'Neill Jackson. <laughs> he said, this is Dr. Alvin O'Neill Jackson. Let me say, well, man, this what do you want? I said, he wanted me to be you. He said, oh, my God, you need to call him back and tell him. And I'm like, bro, I'm not, I'm really not, you know, thinking about that. I, I've been a youth pastor for six years, and I think it's time for me to move on. Man, I'm telling you, you stay for me to think about that. Mm. So he went to Memphis. He went to Memphis that weekend. I know this is a little long, but this is, it, this is good. He went to Memphis that weekend, and he came back to Louisville, and he said, hey, guess who I saw in Memphis? I said, who? He said, I was in Whitehaven. And Eden has shown him, and Alvin O'Neill Jackson came walking in, mm. and we talked about you for an hour. <laughs> and he and he's interested in you, bro. He wants you to call him. So I called Pastor Jackson back, and I said I'd be willing to come and look. I flew in. Ronda and I flew into Memphis and met Pastor Jackson and his wife and the staff, and it was just an immediate connection. Mm-hmm. And I knew that that's what it. What I, was, I knew that was where I was supposed to be. Even though in my mind, I thought I was supposed to pastor, God said, not yet. Mm. And I ended up at Mission Boulevard for five more years as a youth pastor and awaiting for God to release me to the next thing. What what actual years were, were that when you were a youth pastor there for five years? I left in 95. I, I came to Memphis. I left Kentucky in 95, moved to Memphis, to Whitehaven in 95, and I stayed in Mr. Boulevard until 2001. Yep, I remember that. I remember that. Wow. Now, what was your reaction to Memphis 
in general when you got here from Kentucky to Memphis? What, what did you think about Memphis when you hit hit the scene? <laughs> when you hit the scene? Oh, oh my God. It was a culture shock. Yep. Right? Because in Louisville, it was probably, we're the minority. In Louisville, you know, it's, it's more whites than blacks. Mm-hmm. Well, in the West End, I, I, I was around black folk in the West End. But not to what to the degree in Memphis. Oh, man. We, we <laughs> went to Kroger one night to get groceries over in Whitehaven. We lived behind Hillcrest High School on Mickey Drive. And we went to Kroger to get some groceries. And my wife and I walked in the grocery store, and we were overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. We, we saw all of us. Yes. And I said, baby, I've never seen this many black folk in one place. And we just kind of, we were walking, looking around to the left and to the right. <laughs> and we were just overwhelmed with all of the blackness. I mean, it was a good day, but it was just overwhelming to my sensory. And yeah. now, when I go somewhere and I don't see us, I get uncomfortable. <laughs> I know, right? I know. I get uncomfortable. Uh, so I'm telling you, it was. It was amazing. Um, uh, and one of the things that, that people told me when I moved here, they said, as long as you know that Memphis is north of Mississippi, you can make it. To me, Memphis was a big old country town when mm-hmm. I first got here. Uh, everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. And somebody once said, if you grow up in the rural, in the rural area, you can make it in the big city. But if you grow up in the big city, you can't make it in the country. Mm. And so I believe that God has made me, equipped me to be able to handle the mentality of people who may be north of Mississippi. <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's worked well for me to have a, a rural and urban mix to be able to make it in Memphis, Tennessee. Definitely, definitely. Now, in 2001, when you transitioned to getting your own church, was that a challenging experience, you know, to, to take that type of leap? I got you. I got you. That transition wasn't hard. I'm going to tell you why. Because if you can preach to teenagers, you can preach to anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it, I, I was trained in the basement in Mr. Boulevard to keep the attention of kids from Dixie Homes and New Chicago. Uh, and not to mention teenagers in, in general. Uh, and that training ground really equipped me to think out of the box in terms of how ministry is supposed to be done. And so I was being shaped and equipped without knowing it on doing ministry out of the box. And God had always showed me that I would be pastoring a church that was radical and, and revolutionary, but I didn't know when and how. I was on a conference call, a prayer call with, with a group of pastors. In actuality, it was Pastor John Hanna. You have to google him he's a, a mega church pastor in chicago and another youth pastor in uh, florida we were praying for a friend that was dying mm. and we were on a prayer call we interceded for him and he miraculously recovered and he's living today but before we got off the prayer call she said this to me she said are you thinking about starting a church mm. i said uh yeah my pastor frank thomas asked me if i'd be interested she said don't be afraid to do it. She said, God is going to bless it, and it's going to be a radical church full of young people, and it's going to grow beyond your wildest imagination. Wow. Don't be afraid to step out. Mm. And I went back to Pastor Thomas, and I said, I, 
I'll, I'll, I'll do that church you started you talked about. There was a church over in Hickory Hill that was dying. It had 12 white members left. And the community was rapidly changing in Hickory Hill. White flight, business were closing down. And they wanted us to take their church and start a new work. And so they commissioned me and 60 other members to leave Mission Boulevard and come and start what is now a new direction. And I didn't know how I was going to do. I stepped on faith that prophecy came to be true because we went from 60 people to over 10,000 people wow. in about 10 years. Wow. And, and, and the final count on the roll uh, before we started to, to plateau is that we had 28,000 people who would walk across the stage and become members of New Direction Christian Church. Mm. And so it, it was an easy transition because of my faith walk and what God had prepared me to do as a youth pastor. And I carried those radical ideas about how church can be done. And I started a new work and poured new wine into new wineskins. Now, I know that uh, when you started your church, you really entered the Hickory Hill community since then has, you know, totally evolved i know you you have literally built like an empire in that area tell me about the work that you have done in that hickory hill community so we are we have a cdc power center cdc and it we started it because we wanted to do some work out in the community we recognize that new direction can only go so far in its reach and we wanted to start a separate CDC that could procure funds to do some community development. Our vision was to have a charter school because we recognized that some of the schools were failing our kids in the Hickory Hill area. So we started uh, one grade in our church building, a sixth grade class called Power Center Academy. And that school would teach kids how to be entrepreneurs give them laptops, teach them how to open up their own bank account, teach them how to do stocks, read stocks and bonds. And that thing grew. We added a grade every year until eventually it now serves over 5,000 students in Memphis. And it was the number one charter school in the state of Tennessee about five years ago. Mm. And it's still doing well. And it's now under the auspices of Gestalt Charter Management and not under our CDC, but it was birthed under our CDC. We also said we want to do affordable housing. So the city approached us uh, about seven years ago, and Mayor Wharton, uh, he had a problem with an eyesore called Marina Cove Apartments. It used to be the flagship apartments in Hickory Hill back in the day. Mm -hmm. People were flocking to get to Marina Cove. Mm -hmm. But when the transition happened, out-of-town landlords took over. It was blight. And it was an eyesore, and the city uh, seized that property and, and came to our CDC and said, do y'all have a vision for this apartment complex? And we did. We wanted to build a charter school there. We wanted to build some affordable homes there. So they gave us the seven acres. We bought an additional 18 acres. Uh, and we now have nine homes, a charter school, a performing arts center, and we're in talks with Habitat of Humanity for building 50 more affordable homes for 
our, our citizens in Hickory Hill. So our idea was to have a livable, sustainable community. We're also doing workforce development to help people get living wages. We've been in talks with FedEx about helping uh, get more people employed with gainful employment and to get them uh, some money to go to school and to make our park lot a hub where people can be picked up and shuttled to work. Um, and so we are in creative ways trying to bring about sustainability and viability to Hickory Hill. And, and I know right now <clears throat> a lot has changed for you, shall I say. Um, and, and maybe not because we are, you know, currently uh, fighting an invisible enemy with COVID-19. So social distancing has infiltrated our lives. Um, everything has changed, how we work how we communicate. So with all that being said, how are you, Dr. Spencer, coping? How are you doing mentally? I've been seeing you work out on social media. I know you're good physically, but how are you mentally not being able to physically see your your people that are a part of your church and really have some one-on-one -on -one interaction physically. So how are you doing right now? How are you coping? As a shepherd, it's, it's hard not to be able to put your arms around your people. Mm. A big part of church is fellowship. It's not about the building. It's about the relationships. And I'm a people person. I love hugging the mothers and bending down, picking up the children and, and dapping up the brothers and, and, and having eye contact, my mama used to always say, let me put my eyes on you to see how you're really doing. Mm -hmm. So that part has been so hard as a shepherd, right? But because we've been cutting edge and out of the box for years, the transition wasn't as hard to get online and still have contact with my people. They have high tech, high touch. So we still do uh, our streaming on Sundays, and I interact with the people that way. Um, also, we have our connect groups where we do prayer and Bible study in small groups. We have different groups meeting throughout the week online. And even today, before I made this call, I'm out in the parking lot. Even as I'm speaking, I'm looking out my window, and there are about 200 cars still lined up from 9.30 this morning where we're feeding people with the Mid-South Food Bank. Uh, and they've been lined up around the, the block around our church since 9.30. So I'm out there elbow to elbow with my people sweating, putting boxes of apples and oranges and produce and meats uh, and, and putting those in the trunks of cars. And that work is still rewarding. That, it, it, gives, it gives me chill bumps just to see my people out here now just laboring in the sun, making sure people have food to eat during this coronavirus. And we're going to be doing that for six weeks. So we we figured out a way to keep loving on each other. I even baptized a man online the other day. There was a man that was fresh out of prison, never been to church, never been baptized. And he joined the church right before the coronavirus. And I told him, I'm still going to baptize you. I may not be able to come to your house, but I'm going to call you on FaceTime. And I baptized him on FaceTime wow. because I wanted to let the people know. The, the ministry doesn't stop. Just because the building is closed doesn't mean the church is not not working. We're still doing the work. Yes, yes. Now, thank God for technology because if we didn't have it, I, I don't know how this new normal would be, right? <laughs> right. 
right? Okay. God always has a ram in the bush. Exactly, exactly. Now, Dr. Spencer, a lot of people are scared. A lot of people are afraid. A lot of people are comparing what's going on right now to the Bible. Do you think this relates to actual passages in the Bible? I do. I, I think Psalm 91 comes to mind um, when, when the psalmist talks about the pestilence. He says, A thousand may fall to your right, ten thousand at your left, but it shall not come near you. Um, there's always been plagues throughout the, 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 the time of man and the Bible, old and new. Uh, and even Jesus told his disciples that I've given you power and authority, authority to cast out devils and authority and power to heal diseases. Um, so this is nothing new. This pandemic we haven't seen in our lifetime. Uh, but it didn't catch God by surprise. I preached from Numbers 21 last Sunday when it talked about Moses and Aaron. The people were grumbling and complaining against their leaders, and God had grown tired of it because they had been rebellious throughout the whole process of coming out of Egypt and going to the Promised Land, and he allowed a plague just to strike the people, right? And Moses sent Aaron out with incense and fire to make atonement for the people. And he goes out and he stands between the living and the dead. And the fire and the incense representing the prayer uh, and, and intercession. Uh, he goes out and the plague stops. I just believe that God is doing something. To, he's allowing this. He didn't. I don't think God calls it. I, you know, I know you talked about a friend of the conspiracy theorist. Um, but I think also... This could be a product of man, mm -hmm. but God is using what has happened to get our attention. I was reading something, a scientific report that says that now that people are self-quarantined, that scientists are now able to take more accurate seismic readings of the Earth's movement now that people have stopped moving. Mm. Also, the weather has changed because people are self-quarantined because the pollution is down in places like China because people are not driving. Mm -hmm. The world, the planet, is healing while we're self-quarantined. Mm. So if the planet is being healed while we're self-quarantined, could it be that God is also trying to heal us while we're quarantined. Mm. There are going to be some people who hear from God like they've never heard before because they're praying again. I think that God has shut the doors of the building so he can fumigate the building. Mm. I believe that we have made church more important than relationship with God. I believe that we've made religion more important than relationships. I believe we've made money and capitalism more important than being human. And so God had to shut down all of that can allow all of that to be shut down so we can be still and know who God is again. Yes, yes. We Look, we are definitely being still. But I'll tell you one thing, um, just being at home with my family, I, I would, if this did not happen, I would never spend this much time with my family, and I am really enjoying it, <laughs> you know, because we know, work. Right? We work all the time. We out here grinding to the next gig. And, you know, a lot of us never catch a break like this. So, you know, I totally feel exactly what you are saying. Um, what about people that feel like we are entering the rapture? Do you think that's here or do you think that's near? I think that the world is 
is wrapping up. There has been a constant evolvement and devolvement of humanity and the world. The Bible says that there will be famine, there will be earthquakes, there will be wars, there will be disease, and it's getting progressively worse, even as we talk about global warming, you know, places like Antarctica that are the, the, the ice caps are melting, um, the ozone layer is thinning out because of pollution. We are we are killing the planet, mm-hmm. um, and humanity has devolved to the point we've lost our civility. Mm-hmm. There is this denigration of of civilization that we're seeing, and like it or not. We have some culpability in the earth uh, dying. And so I think as a natural result of that is that God, the earth is groaning. The Bible talks about the earth creation is groaning and uh, in, in, in pains and in birthing pains because God is doing something and he sees us languishing and he's going to intervene. And I believe as a Christian that Jesus is coming back to redeem those who believe. I don't know if it's in my lifetime that we will see Jesus return, but I do know that he is coming back soon, and I do believe that these are warning signs. These are birthing pains of God coming to redeem the world because we've done such a terrible job of taking care of it. How important is having faith at this moment in time? How important is faith? Faith is vitally important because it allows us to see a reality beyond what we see. There is another dimension, another world. Jesus preached the whole time he was on the planet for 33 years of life. For three years, he went preaching, the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of God is near. It's it's here and not yet. And so what we do as believers is that we keep trying to tell people there's another kingdom, there's another world beyond the one we see. And ultimately, one day, there will be nothing but the kingdom of God. And so we need to establish God's will on earth as it is in heaven. And until heaven is manifested on earth, we must get the earth ready. We must get people ready for God's return. And what we do on earth is just rehearsal for what we're going to do for eternity. Mm -hmm. I believe that there is eternal life, that this is not the last life. I'm not not ultimately fearful that, that I'm going to die. We're all going to die one day. Mm-hmm. But what I'm what I'm hopeful on is that I will spend eternity with God, and those who believe in Jesus will spend eternity. So the, my faith looks beyond Corona. My faith believes that I have power and authority to heal disease. I have authority over demonic structures and and racist structures and evil structures that have been set up to keep us oppressed. I believe that God has given me power and authority. That faith helps me to look beyond what is to what can be. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have that faith, you'll get, you'll get consumed in your own morbidness and negative thinking. I know your podcast is called uh, Verbally Effective Podcast. If we're going to be effective and be positive, we got to think on those things, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are right, whatsoever things are noble. Think on those things. And our faith snatches all negative, toxic thinking and brings it under submission so that we can see a reality beyond what we see. Amen, amen. Yes, yes, yes. 
I really enjoyed <laughs> those wise words you just gave. And I also know that you are an author. You've written 3D Relationships and U-Turn. Do you think that another book is brewing while we're under this, you know, quarantine, <laughs> Dr. Spencer? Oh, honey, yes, yes, yes. I got a couple things in the mix. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I'm thinking about a, a book that's for pastors who have gone through all the cycles of ministry like I have from from the bottom to the top and back to and and to the and toward the bottom and back up again. Mm -hmm. And so there's a book called Pursue uh, that I think I, I'm, I'm going to be writing. And then there's another book. Uh, I lost my voice uh, last year. I had polyps on my vocal cords from over use of my vocal cords, and that was a for six weeks I could not preach. Uh, my wife wouldn't even let me whisper um, mm. at some point. So I could heal my vocal cords, and I'm getting ready to uh, release a book in the spring called "Finding My Voice Again." Mm. And I believe there's some people who, at some point in their lives, have lost their voice—not yeah. physically, but because of trauma and because of letdown and disappointment. They forgot what their voice sounded like. We mimic so many other people that we never discovered our own authentic voice. And mm -hmm. so I want to write a book to help people find their own unique voice and maybe find it again. I will definitely be reading that book, Dr. Spencer. And um, at this time, can you tell everyone um, how they can, you know, see you on social media, see you online while we're quarantined? I know you are having services online. If you could let the verbally effective audience know, you know, what's going on with, your church as it stands right now yes yeah, so every sunday we're streaming live and you can catch us on facebook live uh under the new direction christian church webpage. you can also catch us on youtube if you if you look up new direction christian church you can catch us there uh on youtube and watch it in the living room with your family 10 30 a.m central standard time uh, you can also catch us on Instagram. Um, we have a, a, a page there at NDCC Memphis. Um, my own Facebook page, Stacy Spencer, Stacy L. Spencer. Um, I will be doing a TNT Bible study Thursday night together. Tonight is the inaugural night, and um, at 7 o'clock on Facebook Live and YouTube, my wife and my three sons, We'll be sitting around, similar to Red Table Talk, at a round table and having Bible study with each other and inviting other families to bring their families in around the table. And we'll be reading the Bible together every Thursday night. So there's two opportunities for you. There's Sunday morning at 10.30. Oh, and 8.30 a.m. on Sunday morning, I do intercessory prayer on Facebook Live. So if you have prayer concerns... I'd love to pray with you every morning live at 8.30 a.m. And then, and then on Wednesday night, we have prayer on Zoom. Uh, you can find that number on my Instagram page or the church's uh, Facebook page or our website, intonewdirection.org. Every Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. and then 6 p.m., we take prayer concerns. Meet us on Zoom. And that information, again, is on my website into newdirection.org and we'll take your prayer concerns and pray. And so, and so if you go to that website, 
there are so many different ways to connect. We got counseling online. We've got a, a 24-hour prayer line. You can do connect groups where you can get with a group of people, five to ten people online and pray together and do Bible study together and sign up for connect group. I'm telling you, just because the building is closed doesn't mean the church is not open for business. We are yet open. Everything is online, and there's no reason why you should be at home thinking your life doesn't matter and nobody cares about you. We want you to know we care about you. We want to give you the word. We want to give you some fellowship and let you know that you are not alone and God cares about you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, you know, Easter is coming up. And, you know, a lot of people attend church on Easter, even if they haven't attended all year, you know, some of us will go to church on Easter for sure. Now, I know that your online following and your online numbers will be huge on Easter. Are you already planning for your Easter sermon? Oh, yeah. The crown that could not kill us. Oh. You know, Corona, Corona uh, it, it means crown because the little the little shapes on the uh, coronavirus molecule, they look like crowns. That's why they call it corona. And when Jesus was crucified, they tried to place a crown of thorns. They placed a crown of thorns on his head, mocking him. And they thought they were killing him. But that crown couldn't kill him. Mm. And this crown will not kill us because there's a crown above the crown. Yes. So I want I want people to tune in on Easter Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We're going to stay at home and have church online like it's nobody's business. <laughs> and it's going to be amazing. And I want you to get every person you can to watch into newdirection.org, Facebook Live, YouTube, because we're going to we're going to kill Corona and Corona's not going to kill us. Yes, the crown that could not kill us. I like that. That's good. Look, that's that's the uh that is gonna be the episode name for this podcast, the crown that could not kill us. I like that, Doctor Spencer. I like oh, that. Right. Oh, <laughs> Thank you so much for being my guest today. I really appreciate you. You know, the community of Memphis. We have welcomed you with open arms, and we really appreciate everything that you've done for this community. If you don't mind, could you please send us off this podcast with a prayer? Yes, ma'am. It'd be my honor to do so. Thank you for having me. Father God, I just thank you right now that you love Memphis and you love this world. The Bible tells us, Father, that you said that the gospel says, for God so loved the world, for God so loved the cosmos that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, we know this is not the end for us. We know that this is just a hard reset for us to come back to our senses and to turn our faces back to you. You said in your word, if my people who are called by my name will turn from their wicked ways and, and, and pray, I would hear from heaven and heal the land. God, heal the land. Heal the people. God, we pray right now for our doctors and our nurses that you would protect them, Father, in the name of Jesus. God, we pray right now that you would bless all those who've been impacted by the coronavirus, that, God, you would allow them to be healed by the mighty name of Jesus. God, I pray for families who've not been impacted, that, God, you would cover their homes, God, and not allow that sickness or disease to come anywhere near their home. God, I pray you 
you cast away all fear and anxiety and allow your people, Father God, to come back to you. And Father, when this virus is over, God, when you heal our land and the church doors come back open, I'm praying that people will come running back to the church, running back to you and saying, what must I do to be saved? Father, thank you, God, that you put food on our table, that you're healing our bodies, that you will stop the spread of this virus and you will heal our land. And God, we promise that when we come back and we're restored, we'll give you all the glory. We'll give you all the praise. And Father, we will live our lives as if, Father God, it was the last breath we had. We'll give you all the glory, and we're going to turn Memphis right side up, and we pray for equity. We pray for living wages. We pray, Father God, for racism to stop. We pray for black-on-black crime to stop. We pray for police officers to stop shooting unarmed civilians. We pray, Father, for people to be able to get jobs, to be able to provide for their families. We pray for equitable school systems. We pray, Father God, that you would allow us to treat the immigrant like we would want to be treated, and God, that Memphis would finally be a city of bitter bold where everybody has everything they need and we're all brothers and sisters working together and it's in the matchless and mighty name of jesus we do pray hallelujah and amen 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 i oh i enjoy i felt that pastor spencer i felt that Thank you. And thank you so much for being my guest today on the Verbally Effective Podcast. You are indeed amazing. And you are indeed verbally effective. But I know you know that, right? No, no. God be the glory. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me on here today and sharing with your listeners. I I can't wait to hear it myself and share with my my people and generation. 